So Psalm 42 says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So there's the roller coaster. All the way from, I shall praise him, to, why have you forgotten me? And somewhere between those two extremes is where you and I live on the curvy road of this life called faith. That's the way it works. You're in the midst of that somewhere. You're somewhere along the spectrum tonight. And the beauty is this, is if you are saying with the psalmist, my soul's in turmoil, my heart is, is um, agitated. I've got questions with no answers. I'm feeling this. I'm sensing this. This psalm takes you to both places. It takes us to what we sense, and then it leaves us in the happy place of what we know. And brothers and sisters, most days we wake up, and we're either going to live by what we sense or by what we know. And as we continue this pilgrimage, what we know has to stay on top of what we sense. Because our senses are faulty, they can be influenced by a thousand things, and they don't always tell us the truth. But what we know according to the truth of the heart of God, according to the Word of God, will keep us in that stable place, even if our senses, our emotions are spinning out of control, our faith, our spirit can keep us anchored. So let's go down this road with the psalmist today. There's only two points to the message. That does not mean it will be short, but if you need to leave before I'm done, you are not going to hurt my feelings. I think I can probably finish up in 35 or 40 minutes. So let's get into it. I'd start out with this, and I'm speaking to Christians tonight, and if you're not a believer here, uh, my prayer is that you'll, you'll glean the goodness of God from this. But for Christians, here's our occasional reality. It starts up there in verses 1 and 2, and let's just go ahead and sense this. 
Let's go ahead and, and feel this tonight. Our occasional reality sometimes involves desperation and dryness. And I see that in the first two verses. Listen to what the psalmist, remember this is a song. They sang the song in worship. And here's the psalm. As a deer pants for flowing streams, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So don't gloss over it. Don't rush past that. So the songwriter is writing, and, and if you're a writer, if you're a songwriter, or you write poetry, or if you journal, you're writing typically about what's going on in your heart in the moment. And so we can, we can probably safely presume that in the moment where this is being originally written, this is an individual who's thirsty for God at a level that is so strong that he has to write something down about it. And he writes this song of petition, this song of testimony, this song of... Uh, um, praise unto the Lord. But it starts out, he says, I'm like the deer running through the wilderness. Maybe it's being hunted. Maybe it's being chased by a predator. Maybe it's simply running and running and running, seeking for something to slake its thirst. But the reality is, is the psalmist, David, we'll just say it's David, takes the picture of the deer that is desperate for water. And he says, Father, that's how I feel about you right now. I am thirsty for you. I, I, I am no longer being satiated by my memories of you. I need something fresh. I need to drink now. I need something to come into me to take the heat and the pain and the dryness off of me. And I love the fact that he's, he's not being mild with this. There's one thing you can say about the psalmist uh, all throughout the book of Psalms. Um, they, they wrote and prayed and worshiped very differently than the 21st century Western Christian. Uh, we think the top thing we need to do in our worship and our petition and our prayer life is we need to be dignified before God. You don't find that in the Bible. That when they got into the presence of God, it was like they ripped their chest open and said, look at what's going on in here. And so what, what he says here is, I, I'm panting after you, God. I'm thirsty. My my soul is where this is located. It's not a superficial desire. It's not a surface need. The psalmist is going deep down within himself, and he's saying, it is at the core of who I am that I am sensing a need to drink on you. We'll go down into verses 3 and 4. If that one doesn't resonate with you, I bet this one will. It's the detachment and the distance Let's just say theoretically, I'm sure none of you have ever experienced it, but theoretically, if you've ever felt like God might be, I don't know, a million miles away, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but just for testimony's sake, I'll confess that there have been times where I've felt, I've sensed, remember we're talking about what he's sensing, that God wasn't within 100 miles of my mailbox, that he was just nowhere around. Well, the psalmist writes here, he says, when will I come and appear before God? He's longing for worship in the tabernacle. David's been exiled. He's on the run. Something's going on, and he can't be there in, in Jerusalem or where the tabernacle is. He says, when will I come and appear before God? He says, my tears have been my food day and night. And then there's this audience that we don't know specifically who it is, but they're, they're taunting him. They're, they say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude that was keeping festival. And so here's what it is. He's longing for God. He's thirsty for God. There seems to be some dryness that has gotten on him. And now that he is going deeper into how he feels, he's sensing a detachment. 
He's sensing a distance. He's somewhere where he can't sense the nearness of God. And so what does he do? He starts replaying the DVR in his mind. And he's, he's, he's remembering times that were very different than he's in right now. He's remembering festive times and joyful times and celebratory times. Times where he could have reached out and touched God if it was possible. Times where he was surrounded by people that were loving the Lord and dancing and singing and worshiping and playing their instruments. And they were coming to the place where, where they were all together in the presence of God, glorifying God in unity. You know how it is. It was like that tonight. You know, we're, we're, we're just, a, I don't know, it was a, probably a couple of hundred people in here on a Wednesday night, and just the day melted off, and within five minutes of the worship, the Holy Spirit saying, you want to celebrate? You want to celebrate? I want to celebrate. You want to celebrate? Let's celebrate the Son of God. And all of a sudden, your celebration and her celebration and his celebration, the Lord just brings it all together, and all of a sudden, we're moving in unison, and the atmosphere changes in the room. And those things are so precious. They're awesome. But King David is not experiencing that in the present like we did tonight. He's looking back and he's missing those times. Because he's saying this, he's saying, when am I going to be in your presence again? When shall I come and appear before God? And listen, he wasn't having a bad day. His testimony is that for days and nights, all he could do is kind of eat his tears. He's really feeling the weight of it. And if that isn't bad enough, that's when some carnal group of people, some fleshly taunting people come and say, hey, Mr. Godman, hey, hey, Mr. Christian, you're looking pretty pitiful. Where's your God now? Now, in our polite society, we don't experience a lot of that. Can I go out on a limb here? Have you ever had that voice from within rise up? That taunting voice that accuses you? That voice that comes in the ear. I don't know how the devil does what he does or his demons do what they do. But somehow the whispers seem to find us when we're down. And, and the, the whispering accusation is this. Uh, how about that God you used to praise back with the multitude and the throng? How come he's not here with you now when you need him the most? I remember going through... Um, the most trying time my family had ever gone through in 2011 when my wife was in a head-on collision and my mother-in-law was killed in the accident and Amy's leg was almost torn off. Her, her whole body was broken. Everything got messed up except her pretty face. And we sat there in the hospital and, and she had 13 surgeries in like five days and they were saying they were going to have to take off her leg. It was just terrible. And I remember just sitting there in the room and it was amazing because we had never been tested on that level before. Never. We had troubles, but never in a situation like this. And I remember the presence of God was so thick and near and precious and dripping that later on when she began to recover and got done with rehab, we'd reminisce about those times in the hospital. And we said to each other, you know, we didn't know whether it would be in a situation like that if we would have felt like God had vacated or whether God had drawn near. You don't know until you go through it, but I can tell you this, as near as he was in the greatest trial in our life, I've been through lesser trials where I felt like David saying, when will I find your presence again? It's the roller coaster. It's that getting schooled in the valley. You see, the valley, um, believers, listen, you can be full of the Holy Spirit. You can be praying in tongues. You can be prophesying to the nations. You can be healing the sick, but you're never going to be immune from the valley. 
And the reason why is because the most lasting things we ever gain in the kingdom are typically picked up as we walk through the valley. And so the Lord is actually wise to allow us to go through. Now, I believe this personally. I don't believe he sends you into the valley alone. I believe when you're in the valley, listen, he's always right there. But it is so difficult at times when you're consumed with your circumstances and what's going to happen next. It's so difficult to get your bearings and just say, okay, the valley's the best place I can be right now because that's where he is right now. And so David is working through this. Um, Verse number five, our occasional reality may sometimes involve discouragement or depression. I know this is somewhat controversial because there is a certain vein of of Christian thinking that says if you're right with God, you'll never experience the blues. And if if that's the way you think, that's fine. We'll just have to politely disagree. Um, Even the apostle Paul said he got to the point in life where he despaired even of living. I mean, his testimony, Jesus was in the garden, and he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. And you can't read the Psalms without recognizing that believers can go through intense times where the the war on the, the, the emotions is so strong. And so David says it this way. He starts talking to himself. You know you're, you're getting somewhere where you don't need to stay when... You know, you're speaking to yourself and answering your own questions. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he goes on to say, he just declares, my soul is cast down. Very quickly, a little quick Hebrew lesson here. The, the Hebrew word translated cast down, it describes something being sunken. Something being filled up and sunken or something bowed over to where it's just being pulled downward. And that's the way he feels in his soul. Then you've got this phrase about it. He's saying, why are you in turmoil? And that describes just a, an agitation. Listen, let's just be real. I'm not going to even pretend that this stuff doesn't happen. I want to help us to, to gain a perspective when it's happening. A lot of us may avoid the, the, the slumped down, pulled down, uh, weighted down soul. But that's that other aspect that he says, why, why am I in turmoil? And it's a, it's a slighter, slightly lesser nuance, but it describes a constant agitation. It's like you got sandpaper on your soul. You know, I want oil on mine. I like it smooth. I like it flowing. I like no friction. I want oil. Lord, I, I pray that all the time. Lord, as a matter of fact, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes and it says, uh, don't let your, your head go without oil and let your garments be white. And so I've always said, I want the, that righteousness described by the white garments and I want that anointing, the oil. But sometimes I just got to admit, man, I walk around with a sandpaper soul. Ask my wife. Oh, here he comes again. He's bringing home the sandpaper soul today. And what does that look like? It just means you're agitated, you're unsettled, you're restless, something's amiss. And, and, and a lot of the times for a lot of us, we live at such a frenetic pace and we're always moving and constantly doing something. And, 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 if, and it's not until we get still that we realize, oh, wow, the shepherd's got me in a place where he's, he's wanting to address the agitation in my soul. And, and I, it doesn't usually go away on its own. And so the psalmist is actually talking to himself. He's like, why are you downcast? I don't know. Why are you, why are you in turmoil? I don't know. 
It's, it's really when you're seeking answers from within about your inner turmoil, you find that the very place that you hope will provide the answer is the same place where your problem is sourced. And so it's just kind of like this vicious, vicious circle there. Something's got to speak to it from outside. There's got to be a greater voice. There's, there's got to be a heavier presence. There, there's got to be that oil that comes in, and that's only going to come through some resource that the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son of God uses in your life. A lot of times it's the Word. Depends on what your season you're in. Uh, early on in my Christian life, when I sensed something wrong, all I had to do was go to my Bible. I mean, that's all I had to do, and that's really all I ever did. But there came a time where the Lord wanted to stretch me more and, and to keep that, that resource from becoming a, a formula. He didn't want me to live by a formula. Okay, when I'm struggling, I just read a verse and everything gets better. He wanted to take me deeper. And so then it moved into just soaking in his presence. I wouldn't even open my Bible. I would just soak and listen. And I'm not good at that because you got to be still and you got to be quiet and, and it takes a while. But then when that season passed, it just became about worshiping. It just became about, okay, I don't feel like singing. I'm not happy. I'm not joyful. I'm anxious. I'm frustrated. I'm irritable right now. But I'm going to turn on some Bethel, and I'm going to get everybody out of the house, and I'm just going to sing. And you just sang by sheer determination, and something starts to shift. You know, I don't know what it'll be in the next season, but now I've learned that, that God is creative, and He'll meet you in different ways. And I, I just, listen, I want to encourage you with this. I'm, I'm using my testimony because I can't use yours, but I just believe that this can resonate. You have to fight back on some level. And one of the hardest things for a person to do when they're deeply discouraged or depressed, one of the hardest things to do is to get up for another round of fighting. That's why the body of Christ is so pivotal that we cannot do this alone. No more Simon and Garfunkel Christians. I am a rock. I am an island. No, you're not. That's not the way the gospel sets it up, that we are a body. That's why on, on some of our gatherings, whether we're here, we're over in the encounter service at IHOP, there, there's just times where you just need to let the body minister to the body. If you're here tonight and you're in one of these seasons and all you're doing is talking to yourself about it, I really want to encourage you. Um, there's a lot of people that if they knew what was going on with you, they wouldn't judge you. Really, I mean, we're not all that different. We, we all share similar struggles, but the fact of the matter is, is we're chained up by our ignorance. If we don't know you're hurting, if we don't know you're struggling, then we can't be a resource through whom God speaks into your life. And if you keep talking to yourself about it, my experience is, I never talk myself up. I usually talk myself down and down. So let's go on. I'm supposed to at least have a solution to this by, by the time we leave tonight right now. So it can also lead to doubt and despair. This is the next level. This is, and, and actually I do believe that this is essential if we're going to come out of the valley with the schooling that we need. So Listen to David's word. He's, he's now talking to God. He went from talking to himself, but now he's going to get real. I say to God, my rock, isn't that ironic based on what he's about to say? I say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? He's the rock, but David's accusing him in open transparency and honest processing of what he senses. He's, he's saying in essence, 
I feel like you've forgotten me. His theology is not helping him right now. He's processing emotionally. He knows theologically that God is his rock, but he's sensing experientially that he's forgotten that he's been orphaned. He goes on to say, why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So here we're getting another glimpse into what's going on. David's actually not only struggling within, but he's being oppressed outwardly by some group of enemies, probably the same people that are taunting him. And now we're starting to really see how he's feeling. He's he's dropping his guard. He says, it's like a deadly wound in my bones. Friends, you don't get much deeper in the human body than the marrow in the bone. And David's saying, I feel like I've got death in my marrow. He says, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where's your God? And then he starts talking to himself again. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I actually think this is part of um, our breakthrough. Polite Christianity is um, a lot of the times it's illegitimate. It's religion. It's a mask. Um, we religion, and I use that in, in the negative sense of religion, not the um, puritanical sense of where they called everything good about Christianity religion. Religion to me is is the superficial presentation of something that's supposed to represent God or godliness. And you, if, if you're living in the Bible Belt, you actually live in the most religious region in the United States of America. And if you grew up in church in the Bible Belt, in the most religious region in the United States of America, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, some of that religion not only got on you, it's probably in you a little bit. It may not be owning you, but it's, 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 it's in play. And part of that religiosity is that we're supposed to say all the nice things. We can't admit struggles. You know, I mean, I don't think we're supposed to go around, you know, in our testimony is I'm an utter failure. I always, always will be glory to God. I don't think that, I think that that's equally bad representation of the Lord. But my goodness, I think that we have to come to a point where if somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? You've been on my heart. I've been thinking about you. I feel like the Lord brought you to mind today. And if you're struggling and you're getting eaten up by life and you say, no, man, I'm great. God's good. Hey, man, God's good. Isn't he awesome? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. (laughs) God's not honored in that and you're not helped by it. And so sometimes we, we have to get as honest as the psalmist. And the psalmist is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm actually not doing good. Um, I feel like I've got a deadly wound in my bones. I feel forgotten by God. I wake up every day and I'm drinking my tears and I eat them every night and I'm mourning all day and I got these yahoos over here that are provoking me by asking me where God is. And the sad thing is, is I'm starting to wonder where he is too. And David gives full vent to what he's feeling. For me, and you feel free to disagree with this because it's totally my opinion, but in my experience, when I'm in a prolonged valley season, and it doesn't happen all the time, but I've been in more than one. I've been in one that was extremely long that I thought would have killed me. It lasted more than three years, and it involved all of this stuff and more. Um, 
for me, the reason why that valley was longer than it needed to be is because I fought reaching that breaking point. I didn't want to be desperate. I wanted to hold it all together. And I wanted to think my way out of the valley. And I wanted to Bible verse my way out of the valley. And I, 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 wanted, to, I wanted to minister my way out of the valley. Let me tell you what happens. I'm just going to give you this. When you're in the valley, one of the things that, that goes on in your mind is you can't afford to reach your full breaking point because you don't know what's going to happen if that really hits. And you're responsible. You've got kids. You may have work duties. You've got church duties. You've got your testimony, your reputation. What are people going to say? And you've got all this garbage spinning in the cycle. And, and, and all really that, that the Father wants us to know is, hey, child, I love you. And no matter how hard you hit rock bottom, I promise you, I'm going to be there. And anything that breaks, I can put back together. But we fight that, man. We fight it because, I mean, in our flesh, we don't want to break. Now, some of you have walked with the Lord for decades, and you're, you're, you're wearing the glory. You've got the, uh, as the old King James said, the hoary head, the, the silver hair. And you know, you know, you learned decades ago that now when it's time for a breaking, best thing you can do is just break. And, and when you break... I mean, it's, Paul said that. Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And listen, another way to say it is um, the earthen vessel is just a clay pot, and it, it gets cracks in it. You're a crack pot, amen? That's, that's another way of saying it. It's, it's, it's just that way. But the reason why Paul said, yeah, the, the, it's, it's like putting your, the greatest treasure in the earthen vessel and, and when that thing is put on display and the treasure is gleaming out of that clay jar, nobody says, look at the clay jar. Everybody says, look at the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. We're the clay jar. We're not supposed to be the object of adoration. We are earthen vessels. We're clay. And yet we, 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 this temptation that cycles in and out of, of religion, just it's a cosmos, cosmeticized version of Christianity. Let's just paint it up and pretty it up and say the right things. I just think sometimes if you want to get all that you can get out of the valley, fall apart in it and trust God to put you back together. Yeah. Fall apart. You say, Jeff, that doesn't sound spiritual. I think it sounds way more spiritual than you trying to hold it together in your own power, and you're going to break anyway. Yeah, one person in the back corner says, yeah! The rest of you haven't experienced it yet? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you, listen, maybe you're in that season right now, and I... I identify, I empathize, because it's, it's that fear of coming to the end of yourself. It's, that's the only place where you can really find out how faithful he is. Now, I never chase it down. I never wake up in the morning and say, Lord, how about a valley? Lord, can we go through a valley? Could, could you bring me to my utter end of myself again? I never volunteer. But, but you come to a place where you recognize when it's happening. And the beauty is, is when you go through them, maybe it's every two years, five years, ten years. Maybe it's every six months if you're in a difficult season. But you always get to use what you learned the last time. And eventually, you're not afraid of the valleys anymore. Because you've learned the most important thing you learn in the valley. That the master's there. He's with you. So let me get into um, the second and final point. Our occasional reality is all of that nasty. Desperation, dryness, detachment, distance, depression, doubt, despair. I don't like any of that, but we're being honest and we know that that can be part of life. But here's the available rem remedy, and it's all in the same psalm. 
I didn't cover these parts, but we're going to go back through these same verses and extract the, 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 the climax points of what David learned as he's going through it. First of all, this is what we learn when we're getting schooled in the valley. This, this is what we come out of it with. We learn to fixate on God's goodness. Now, this, this may not sound, you know, neon and glamorous, but man, these are essentials. We learn to fixate on his goodness. At the end of verse 5, David had just asked, why are you downcast? Why, why are you in turmoil? And then he, he, he instructs himself, hope in God, for I will praise him again. He's my salvation. He's my God. Now, David probably wasn't sensing that or feeling that, but he's believing that. It's not what he felt that was going to help him in the valley. It's he had to latch on to what he believed, what he knew. What did he know about his God? What did he know about his Father in heaven? He remembers he's my salvation. I remember Goliath. I remember everybody in the army was afraid, and I was just a kid with five stones and a sling, but I got sick of hearing that loudmouthed, uncircumcised Philistine taunt the army of God, and so I just ran out there, and I trusted God, and I killed him, and I cut off his head. He's my God. And I remember the, the lion, and I remember the bear. And I remember when Saul was throwing his javelin at me, and all I was trying to do was love him and serve him and honor him, and he wanted to kill me. David had all this history with God. And it is not easy to do when your emotions are, are cresting in the valley, and they're usually not the best emotions. There has to be the engagement of your Holy Spirit-empowered will. You have to say, I'm sick of listening to myself about how I feel. I'm going to make my feelings listen to what I believe. I, I don't know what else you can do in certain moments. That you have to, you, you have to fight back with a mustard seed of faith if that's all you've got. And somehow that, that memory of who he is that's all David's doing. He's saying, he's my salvation. He's my redeemer. He's mine. It's, it's, it's actually between me and him. I don't hear him right now. I'm not sensing him right now. But I'm not going to let what I sense rob me of what I believe. And so, if you're out there anywhere, I'm just going to confess this. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. But you're my papa. You're Abba Father. Job would say it this way. Remember Job? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I'm actually in a good season if, if you're worried about me because I'm preaching. I'm actually in a, I am. I'm in a really great season. But, but I remember Job. Job, of course, you know his story. I mean, he's just dying a thousand deaths. And he gets to this point and he says, I try to, I'm going to paraphrase here. I, I walk ahead and he's not there, speaking of God. I look over on the left hand, no God. I look on the right hand, he's not doing anything. I turn around, he's not behind me. So Job looked everywhere he could and couldn't find God, and then Job gives this nugget, he says. But he knows where I am. I don't know what chapter it is. I want to say chapter 38, that may not be right. But he, he, he's saying unequivocally, I don't know where God is and I don't know what he's doing, but I do know that he knows where I am. It's what he knew, what he knew overrides what he felt.
Let me give you just a couple of New Testament verses here because um, the mind the mind has to be used in your journey with Jesus. It can't always be about what we feel. I love to feel. I'm a pretty you know passionate guy about all things Jesus. I just I I don't have the ability to express everything that's within me, but I try my best. But I'm going to tell you something. There are seasons where um, what I feel about him and my passion doesn't work. There are times where passion is awesome, but there are other times where precision is required. And precision means you have to engage your mind. You have to know truth, and you have to implement truth. You have to confess truth. You have to speak it. You have to declare it. Raise your hand if you've ever gone around your house or someplace in a battle and you're just declaring stuff out loud. Good. I'm not the only wacko in the room. That's good. We ought to do that because sometimes you need to hear it. Sometimes the devil needs to hear it. Sometimes the angels that are being assigned to assist you need to hear it. Most of all, we need to hear it. So Paul said this, to set your mind on the things of flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Literally, we choose what we set our mind on. We, we actually have accountability to think, to own our minds and to fixate them on the things that breathe life and peace. And those are the things of the Spirit. Romans 12, 2, Paul said this, famous verse, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of what? Your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and what is perfect. And so the, the unpacked teaching there is we, we need to know God with our minds so that we can discern what He is doing. In other words, if my situation is negative and it's bad and I'm under fierce attack or I'm being accused or I feel distant from God and all this junk is coming at me and, and my emotions start saying, God's left you. God's forgotten about you. You've sinned so bad, he's done with you. You ever hear that one? Just me? Great. Okay. <laughs> All of those things start swarming around in our head. But what do I do? I use the transformed mind that is saddled by the Holy Spirit. And I say, wait, those things are not the will of God. Those are lies from the pit of hell. He has not left me. He has not forgotten about me. He has not abandoned me. What's happening? I am engaging in cooperation with the Holy Spirit who has given me a renewed mind. And so I'm thinking like God does. That's Ephesians 4.23. That we're, 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 it talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's not, you don't just get zapped with that at the altar. I love ministry time, and I thank God I believe that significant things happen in ministry time. I like it when it's just wide open. That's great. But I'm going to tell you, you can't just live from Sunday to Sunday hoping to come and get your dose of ministry power, and then all week long you're just letting your mind fall on things that are tearing down your faith. So there's some cooperation with us. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's a constant process. Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. <laughs> I just got a few more minutes. But I told myself a joke. If you were wondering why I was laughing, I just told myself a joke. Um, I, I, I just got to where I don't watch the news anymore. Last week, it was just getting so bad. I'm like, I don't care what channel you watch. 
CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, Drudge Report, Breitbart, any of that junk. It's all terrible. It is all stinking terrible. And I thought, why do I care about this stuff? Why am I allowing this to season my mind three or four times a day? And so I just quit doing it. And listen, um, I backslid today, and I did look at the news. I will confess that. I did. I, <laughs> I looked at the Drudge Report, and immediately I'm looking at this, and immediately I just felt like the sweetness leave. Yeah. I did. So I told the Lord I was sorry. I closed down the browser, and I just started worshiping in my office. And amazingly, um, my whole outlook got better. What happened? I just obeyed Colossians 3.2. I just took the initiative to set my mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Then Peter says this, and I'll get back to Psalm 42. Peter says this in 1 Peter uh, 1.13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, that is, your, um, that is your secret weapon. I'll go over it again. When all of hell comes against you, when nothing else is working, when you can't figure it out, you can't fix it, you don't know how it's going to work, nobody understands, the people that are listening misunderstand, there's nothing you can do. Here is your ace card. You can set your mind preparing your mind for action, and in sober-mindedness, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? When nothing else is working, just get to a place and say, he's coming again. He's coming again. He's going to establish his kingdom on earth. There's going to be a day where none of this junk's going to be my reality. This person's not going to be uh, aggressively after me. This sickness isn't going to try to get me anymore. This thing's not going to happen. None of the, all of this junk is temporary. I set my hope fully on the second coming of Jesus Christ, and I will look at everything that challenged me in life, and I will say, you lost and I won. That is your ace in the hole. When nothing else works, friend, you can go all the way to the end of the story, and you can say, oh yeah, I forgot at the back of the book, I am standing triumphant with the Son of God, ruling and reigning with Christ. Oh yeah, that's my destiny, not this. Yeah, that would have been a good place to end. Let me just go through these other ones. So, you got to remember God's faithfulness. We choose to remember God's faithfulness. David says, I remember you, verse 6. I remember you. Where was he remembering him in the moment? While he was still away in the land of Jordan, Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. And listen, David's remembering him as he's given this description. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves have gone over me. So David is remembering the faithfulness of God even while the waves are crashing into him. Even while the, the, uh, the reference to deep calling to deep at the roar of your waterfalls the picture is two waterfalls that are coming down and causing a cacophony of noise. If you've ever been near a large waterfall, um, there's a roaring. Waterfalls are pretty, 
to look at. But if you get under one that's a, a mean booger and that thing is hitting you, it's not fun. It's terrorizing. They'll pull you under. Those big drops hit you. You can't breathe. It can be. And David is picturing himself under these dual waterfalls with this cacophony of noise. And then he's picturing the waves and the billows. He feels like he's drowning. And he's, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm just going to remember who you are. I'm just going to remember who you are. That these, and he's speaking of the circumstances in, in poetic language, these waterfalls that are hitting me right now, they had to pass through your hands to reach me. I remember that you're faithful. These waves that are hitting me right now, they can only be doing this work because you gave them permission. And if you gave these waves of trouble permission, it means you're going to work all things together for my good. There's going to be some kind of diamond in this dunghill that I'm having to deal with right now. And Lord, I'm just going to remember your faithfulness. And it's, it's when we remember him, who he is, the temptation in the valley is just, I got to get out of the valley. When I get out of the valley, I'll remember you. When I get out of the valley, I'll praise you. When I get out of the valley, I'll serve you. When I get out of the valley, I'll be holy. When I get out of the valley, and we are so fixated on a circumstantial shifting that we miss the whole lesson. And the whole lesson is God is saying, no, I, I want you to know me in the valley, under the waterfall. When the waves are crashing, I want you to know, child, that I'm there. Even there, I'm with you. And so what happens? Verse 8, we commit to yield to his hands. He's starting to calm down. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. By day. He commands a steadfast love. He, he's, he's saying, my hope is destined to come back as sure as, the, as daybreak is coming. It's not going to be dark forever. And then he says this, he says, even as it is dark, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. This is amazing to me. In the midst of all of this, Somehow David still retained his song. I love watching people sing and worship and pray and serve God when I know they have every human reason to have quit long ago. And they just say, oh no, when the night comes, that's when my song's going to go up. And my song's going to go up in the darkest season and it's going to be me singing my prayer unto the Lord. Um, you only sing around people that you trust, right? Yeah, you don't, you're not going to hear me singing too often in this place. Not because I don't trust you, but I don't trust you with my terrible singing when I hit those bad notes. The, the psalmist is saying at the worst possible moment, I'm going to lift up my song because I trust him. I know he's going to hear it, and I know he's going to smile on it. And then the very last verse, I'm going to cut you loose. Down in verse 11, we posture ourselves for the coming breakthrough. He's already said it once. He's going to say it again right here. Hope in God. So he's no longer asking himself questions. He's now instructing himself. Talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Instruct yourself. Take the, um, the aggressive posture over your soul. Don't let your soul just warm up these questions on its own. Just go ahead and start instructing your soul. And he does. He says, hope in God. I shall again praise him. 
my salvation, and my God. After taking us down into the drowning waters with him, his last testimony at the end of the song is, my gloom is not going to have the final say-so. Why? Is it because God's sovereign? No, listen to me on this. God's sovereign, but the reason why David knew that his gloom would not have the final say-so is because he had aligned himself. He had aligned himself. He took the initiative. He, he gathered his thoughts. He instructed his soul. He didn't consider himself a victim to all the bad things people were saying to him, all the denying, all the accusation. David didn't consider himself a permanent prisoner of his negative emotions. David took his sanctified will and said, Hope in God, soul. You're going to praise him again. And in essence, the sovereign God of heaven just simply led David through a place, a difficult place, where all of the things that were pulling at David just pulled the flesh away. And what he was left with was that gold of the soul, that gold that had been purified by the fire and the heat. And that is what Job said in that passage I quoted earlier. He knows where I am, and when he has tested me, Job said, I will come forth as gold. That's what he's doing to you tonight. And so I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to kind of speak a, a paternal blessing over you. I'm, I'm just going to take a pastoral moment with you. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I bless you with the ability to put your emotions in check, and with a renewed mind to authorize hope to begin to flow in your life again. I bless you with the ability to do that for yourself. In the name of Jesus, it is the will of the Lord. I tear down the stronghold of the lie that says you're a victim of what you feel. You can own your feelings. doesn't mean they disappear. It just means you own them. They know who's the boss. I remove the lie that says he's forgotten about you. He absolutely has not. You're hearing him tonight. You're sensing him tonight. I also remove that fear that creeps in that says, I'm afraid to trust him again. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be let down. All of those are lies, either of the devil or your flesh. In the name of Jesus confidence on you. Confidence that he is good. He is your father. He has not moved away. He's not forgotten. He is schooling you in the valley. I just hear him say this. He's passing out diplomas. I hear that. He's passing out diplomas. Some of you have passed the test. So Father, thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for never forgetting about us. Thank you, Lord, that when you're silent, it's because we're taking the test. So, Father, tonight we leave with absolute hope that Jesus is who he says he is and better than we can imagine. In his name and for his glory, we say thank you. Amen.